John Johnson writes, Self-denial is the perennial challenge of humanity. A rampant selfishness is omnipresent in every generation, and the church is not immune to meism. In fact, many declare our Zion has opted for a double dose. Clergy and parishioners alike calculate every move for maximum personal benefit. Today, our bonfires of selfishness are fueled by the gasoline of affluence. Today's self-centered churchgoer asks the same question of God and coupled with, one an with another one, what will you do for me? God is pictured as the dispenser and the withholder of life's prizes, a television game show host. And we, we conclude that such, good thing, such things as good health, fortune, and success are the sure indicators of his approval for our lives. This is the Protestant ethic gone to seed. I want to welcome you to uh, this message as part of the service. And, and again, back to our study of, of Romans and as I was thinking about this part of the, the, uh, the, the, the text that we're entering, it's appropriate that the, the cross is the symbol of our gospel. For the last three and a half years, we have looked at the vertical dimension of our gospel. We've looked at it with in depth. And uh, in so many ways, God is just amazing. He's worthy of our praise, our worship. Because his love, we've experienced his love, his grace, his power, his wisdom. And we see it all in the finished work of the cross. But today, there's going to be a change. You see, there's another part to our gospel. Like a cross, there is a horizontal part to this gospel. The vertical is our relationship with God, the horizontal is our relationship with others. And to do that, God asks us to look within. You know, in spite of being born again, having the third member of the Godhead within us, all of us retain that Adamic and fallen nature. And God knew that relating to others in love is not going to be automatic. You see, the world system that you and I live in, we breathe in, we do business with, uh, we're just immersed in, has a simple message, and that is live for yourself. Love yourself. Please yourself. Ignore God and do what satisfies you. And you know that message appeals to the nature that you and I have within us. And so that is why there is this necessary horizontal part to our gospel. You see, without that horizontal part, we lack balance. We remain infective, ineffective, and uh, in fact, we, we forget what God has done for us according to Peter. According to, uh, Peter. Jesus alluded to this in Matthew 10. He says, He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And again in Matthew 16, 
He says, Jesus said unto his disciple, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There is that horizontal part to the gospel. This is the part that gives us balance. And who doesn't need balance these days? I mean, it's a healthy goal for us. It's what I long for and I pray for. God, keep me away from the extremes, extremes in doctrine, extremes in practice, extremes in life. The devil is the master of extremes. He doesn't care which extreme he's got you in. As long as you run off in some ditch and destroy your testimony, he doesn't care. So in healthy Christians, we find three, as we look inside, we found three healthy uh, habits. There is in verse 1, there is consecration. In verse 2, there is transformation. And in verse 3, there is evaluation. You know, as we work through this, my prayer, this last part of Romans, my prayer is that it would all help you, all of you, to find some balance in life. The balance between taking in and putting back out. A balance between a serious walk with God and, and knowing how to enjoy God. A balance between faith and your responsibilities. A balance between trusting and obeying. Now Paul begins with an urgent plea. He doesn't say, I, I have this suggestion or this would be a great idea for you guys. He says, I beseech you, brethren. Therefore, and there are three therefores in the book, in the, in the letter of Romans. The first is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the therefore of justification. The second is in Romans 8, 1. There, there is therefore now no condemnation to, to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That is the therefore of security of a spirit-filled life, those who are focusing upon Christ and walking, being led by the spirit of God. That's the security. And then there's the third therefore in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And that is the therefore of consecration. God is saying because of these other truths being true, because you have been given a position in Christ, because you are, have the spirit of God within you, there is therefore something that should now mark your life horizontally. Paul says, I plead with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Consecration. Let me give you a simple definition. It means reserved and set apart. Set apart for God, for God's use, for God's glory, for God's pleasure, for God's will. Some of us couples uh, go out for our October anniversaries, and um, often we call ahead and we make reservations. 
And the nice part about it, it does not matter how full that place is. There is one table that is set apart. Nobody's sitting at it, and it has this little card on it, reserved. It's been set apart. But you see, God wants you to take that little sign, reserved, and put it inside your heart. Reserved for God. You see, what God, notice what God doesn't say. He doesn't say there's, there's no age limits to this. Doesn't have, you don't have to be old. It's for young and old alike. There's no denominational limits to this. You don't have to be Baptist or Methodist or Mennonite. It's not limited to certain offices or responsibilities. This is not just for deacons. It's for all of us, or for pastors. It's for every Christian set apart for God. It's your spiritual service. Daily, you are to reserve your life for God. You give him the invitation to do anything with your life he wishes. That's a tall order. This morning, we, we uh, passed the offering baskets, and you placed within that basket either cash or a check or what you thought God would have you to give as an act of worship. But you see, what God is asking you to do now is to climb in the basket yourself. It's going to take bigger baskets, isn't it? (laughs) The way you reserve yourself for me is by climbing in the offering plate. Now notice the word sacrifice. And often when we see that word sacrifice, we're kind of programmed of thinking of something dead. But this is not what God is saying. God is saying just the opposite. He wants you to be a living sacrifice. Now the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps getting back off the altar. And that means it's a process, a daily process. Lord, this morning I choose to reserve my life for you. Now you have somebody rub you the wrong way that day. You surrender and say, Lord, what would, how would you have me to respond to this? Or if you're asked to shoulder some task or responsibility in this congregation, Lord, I choose your will in this decision. You know, this part is, it's so important. It's such a foundational part of our horizontal relationship. Otherwise, if you don't consecrate or reserve yourself, you're going to spend most of your time just living for yourself. Verse 2. transformation and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God 
You see, the person who reserves himself for God enters into a process of transformation. God says, don't be conformed to this world. Conformed is the idea of being put into a mold. Have you ever seen a cookie cutter? Somebody's making cookies, they put, use a cookie cutter, and, and it, it makes a certain shape. Reminds me of a story in which a hunter and a bear uh, came face to face, and the bear asked the hunter what he wanted. And the hunter said, I like a, I like a fur coat. And the bear said, well, all I want is a, is a full stomach. I think we could work this out. And about a half an hour later, there was nothing left but the hunter's gun. They both got what they wanted. The bear felt transformed. The hunter was conformed. So transformation is definitely a better way to go. <laughs> Kenneth Weiss says, stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world, an expression which does not come nor is from nor is representative of what you are in your inner being as a regenerated child of God. You see, the world system that you and I live in works overtime at putting us in their mold. You know how it does it? By keeping us enslaved in our minds. Enslaved to the pursuit of fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. God says, don't let it happen. There's only one way that you are not a slave of the, what you're surrounded with, and that is by being transformed. Transformed by the Spirit of God using the Word of God. That is the only way you are not a slave of the culture that we're living in. Let me give you an illustration. Most of you have been to lots of weddings, and uh, you can't help but take in notice of all the extras. The, the lights, the flowers, the candles, the attire, the ceremony. And they really are all extras. I know you gals wouldn't agree with me on this one. But, but that is not what makes a marriage. You know why? Because over half of the marriage, people who walk down the aisle are divorced later on. You know what makes a real marriage? transformation. When two people are transformed within. Two people who be really become one and consider what God wants and consider what the needs are of their mate and, and, and make their goal, helping their mate become the best they can be. Transformation. That's what makes a marriage. So the battle is for our minds. That's where the, pro, uh, tran, uh, the, tr the process of transformation takes place. David wrote in Psalms 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to transform our mind and change how you and I process life. Donald Barnhouse said this, if I only had three years to serve God, I would spend two of them studying and preparing. 
why you need to have a different thought process if you're going to be effective in ministry. As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. Why is it so important for you to spend time reading and studying the Bible? The question is not, do you read your Bible? The question, the bigger question, do you really want to be changed and be like Christ? That's the big question. Do you really want to live a different life than the rest of society around you? Meeting God, spending time with God helps us understand ourselves. That brings us to evaluation. Verse 3. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see, we tend towards two extremes, either to think too lowly of ourselves or to think too highly of ourselves. If you're someone who has the problem of thinking too highly of yourself, consider this piece. Sometime when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego is way up, sometime when you take it for granted and you feel like the prize-winning pup, sometime when you feel that your absence would leave an unfillable hole, follow these simple instructions and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand into it up to the wrist. Now pull it out fast and the hole that remains is the measure of how you'll be missed. You may splash all you please as you enter and stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a minute it's right back where it was before. Man, doesn't that give you guys perspective? <laughs> You see, there's really only one in this congregation that is indispensable, and that is the head of this body, which is Christ. None of us are so, uh, none of us are so important that we're not irreplaceable. Uh, we're not for the grace of God. None of us would even be usable. Here's the flip side to that. All of you are valuable. Why? Because God's loved you and God's saved you. That's why you're valuable. Again, because of the grace of God. Balance, again, is so key. You really need to have a healthy balance in this. And, you know, I cannot buy or believe that someone who is born again, filled with the Spirit of God, believes themselves worthless. There's a, there's a healthy balance in this. Uh, humility is accepting how God has made me and knowing that I am valuable because of God who has both loved me and created me. That's why I'm valuable. Isn't it crazy how many people go through life trying to be somebody else? Or how often we try to take someone and make them like someone else? You see, having our minds transformed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God helps us to evaluate ourselves with a balanced perspective and really be us. 
That's so important. I love the last part of this verse. It says, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Notice what God doesn't give one person everything. In that measure of faith that we have been giving, there are some things we do well, some things very well, but we are not expected to do everything. So to all those tired faces looking up at me this morning, you have been given some amazing gifts, which you can claim by faith, but God never intended you to do it all. You see, we have a body, and in a healthy body, every member contributes. And that is why when you're asked to shoulder some of the load or be involved, you should consider it. The balance to this is don't let anyone force you to become somebody you aren't or decide a spiritual gift, what your spiritual gift is for you. That's the balance. God decides what that gift is. and All of us have some, but be willing to use it. And and the thing I'm going to tell you about spiritual gifts is that often it means being stretched and being at times in places to be a little uncomfortable for us. You know, our greatest moments of spirituality and and of use have not come in a lazy boy recliner. It's been being used and and being stretched into some things. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and and all members have not the same office. Many members carries the thought of variety. In this body, there are a variety of members, and we don't have, all have the same office and function. Uh, at work, we have, uh, there's a, a maintenance man that we have, and his name is Dave. He's a real big guy, and he's, he's, a, he's a really nice guy. He's really, but there's something about Dave you just can't miss. If you look at his one arm, I think it's his right arm, he has no fingers. Uh, I'm not sure what accident he was in, but he's just, he doesn't even have a palm. He's just got kind of a nub here and a nub here. And it's amazing what Dave can do with that hand or that, that. But here's the thing. In spite of what he can do, you just have to imagine how life-changing it would be not to have five fingers. Verse 5 says, So we being many are in one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. There is no such thing as an independent member. Those five fingers, I don't care how well he's adapted, affected his whole body. While it is true that every member, not every member is alike, the functions, the responsibilities are different. In other words, we wouldn't expect fingers to do the job of a heart. All members contribute. We are all members one of another. So in this godly evaluation of who I am in Christ, it carries right on into how I serve others. 
God just links it all together. My vertical relationship into my horizontal relationship into who I am and how I minister to others. You see, God didn't plan on anybody just being a pew warmer. He expected all of you to be involved and, and to be ministering and giving. There's a story about John Knox. John Knox was a fiery speaker, and uh, he was called the prophet of Scotland. John Knox served under the Queen of Scots, a woman named Mary, and Mary had a murderous temper. She had an appoint- he had an appointment to stand before Queen Mary, and she was in one of her terrible moods. And one of her servants knew that she was in a really bad mood, so he went and told John Knox not to, not to uh, keep his employment, and in fact, make another one. John Knox's reply was, why should I be afraid of a few minutes with the queen when I have spent four hours with the king? See, Knox had spent time with God. He knew who he was. He knew who had equipped him, and he knew what he had been called to do. And he wasn't intimidated by the situation. Do you realize you could live life like that? See, you can, when you know who you are, you understand some of your spiritual gifts, you don't have to be intimidated by life. You can face life and serve with confidence. Now, Paul lists seven gifts, and I'm sure there's a lot more. I think there's probably hundreds. He says in in verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, and he that giveth, let him do so, do it with simplicity, or he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You know, it's true that probably there isn't one of us in here that have the exact same gift or gifts. Generally, we have a mixture of gifts, and None of us are probably are, are completely alike. There's, there's, I'm thinking there's, there's, there's more than this. This is seven, but there are a lot more spiritual gifts than just these seven. So it's true that none of us are alike, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Stop thinking that you have to minister, that everybody else needs to minister just like you do. Your gifts are probably different than some of the others in this congregation. You know, there's nothing that's more miserable than forcing someone to do something they're not gifted in. You ever sat under somebody who taught who didn't have the gift of teaching? It wasn't long till you thought about how the fish are biting. <laughs> Seriously. The flip side to this is stop copping out and acting like you don't have any gifts. That's the flip side. If you're born again, you have spiritual gifts that are meant for the edifying of this body. And uh, you're not sure what the artist said. Lord, I'm available. Lead me. I'm, I'm willing to go where you lead me. I'm willing to be used. 
Remember the sequence. Reserve, transformation, and evaluation. And with this, I'm going to just tell you something. Don't feel guilty that you can't minister like somebody else does in this congregation. If you can't speak or you can't teach, that's okay. It's probably not your gift. But serve. Use the gift that you have. I mean, God is not impressed whether you're sitting, standing up here or whether you're serving in the background. He's not impressed with that. All he cares about is that you serve, that you're faithful with the gift that you've been given. You know, I think in this area of gifts, I think there's a lot of envy and a lot of guilt that goes on in churches about gifts, spiritual gifts. Rather than just being appreciative of somebody having those gifts of one another, just saying, well, I'm so grateful you have that gift. Rather than envying the gifts or using guilt because somebody doesn't have the gift. One writer puts it this way, our churches are filled with people who outwardly look contented and at peace, but inwardly are crying for somebody to love them just as they are, confused and frustrated, frightened, guilty, and often unable to communicate even with their own families. There is such pressure right now they can hardly talk. Husband and wife, mom and kids, sitting right around you. The other people in the church look so happy and contented that one as seldom has the courage to admit one's own deep needs before such a self-sufficient group as the average church meeting appears to be. The point is, there's a lot of pain that sometimes walks through those front doors. Don't add to it. Spiritual gifts are about freeing, lifting, empowering, encouraging, and equipping. Not once does Paul say, straighten them out. No, he says, minister, serve, teach. Encourage, show mercy. You see, when someone's down, help lifting them up. And when you're down, let somebody else lift you up. I shared in one of the other churches recently that the best thing we have going for us is not that we've got it all together. You guys all know we have some loose ends. Nor is it that our teaching is that great or phenomenal. The best thing we got going for us is when you leave here, you get encouraged. You get lifted up. Working together, the pressure is relieved, perspective is regained, and we hear God. Let me give you several points to close with. First is this. Accepting who God has made you and how he has made you precedes giving to others. You've got to know who you are 
if you're really going to minister to someone else. Uh, I know that some of you are in the middle of this process, just accepting who you are, and with that comes the, the circumstances of life that are, that, that are with that. But, you, but even here, there's peace to be found. When you surrender and reserve your heart for God, Secondly, giving yourself means learning how to accept others. You know, given our diversity, our, our mixture of uh, several denominations, there isn't one of us here who hasn't learned how to open our arms wider. But you know what the truth of the matter is? We're all better for it. We're all better for it. Thirdly, when we all minister our gifts, there's real spirituality. Nothing has to be faked. When, when, when all of you guys give, when God is at work in your life, my life, and we all minister our gifts, you don't have to fake anything. What takes place here is real. And fourth, when we all give freely, there's spontaneity. Nobody has to be pressured or, or forced. It just happens. Worship takes place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture, and just thank you for visiting us and, and lord thank you for reminding us that as amazing as the as the vertical part of our gospel is that there's a horizontal part to it lord we're grateful this morning that that we're to be the vessels of of grace your love and that we're to use our gifts and serving others to be your hands and your feet lord and so lord this morning we would pray for an effectiveness in this congregation as we as we as we continue to learn how to love each other and to, to minister to each other and to, and to use our gifts, that you would help us be effective, Lord, and to, uh, to really reserve our heart for you. So, we, Lord, we would pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.